whiskey. Welcome to the Whiskey Underground. Welcome to the BSEA Whiskey Underground. We're here tonight in the secret speakeasy to relax and enjoy one of the finest man-made creations on earth, whiskey. Brand. What's happening, Scott? How is it going today? Not too bad, man. How are you doing tonight? Doing, doing pretty good. Cannot complain. Another uh, week's going by and our month's going by. Get to check out some new brown whiskey. One third of the, uh, one third of the Bond Quarter has already come and gone and and we're rolling through this. It's time for episode two of the Bond Quarter series. So uh, we decided, you know, one of the, one of the, well, I should say one of the most paid for brands in the right. Bond series recently has been McAllen. Uh, and it's a, it, no joke. It's all product placement. They paid for a sponsorship in, uh, in the James Bond series. So tonight we are going to be testing out, and it's such a chore to do this, the McAllen 12 series. And it's weird to say this because when you when you and I started drinking McAllen, it was only McAllen Twelve Sherry Oak Cask. That was it. I mean, most of it was just that they. Well, I say actually, when I started drinking, they did have the fine the fine oak, but um, this their what do they call it? I mean, I guess their standard series, their signature series, was was just that. It was just Sherry Sherry Cask finish, single malt whiskey. Yeah, it was, I mean, this, and this to me is, this is their perfection. The Sherry Oak 12 is their perfection. It is a damn good uh, dram of whiskey. It's it's not going to, you know, it's not going to set you back a paycheck for a bottle of this whiskey. And I think you're going to enjoy every single drop of it. I, I mean, I agree. We always talk about this kind of being the gateway, uh, the gateway in scotch. Or, I mean, even gateway into, into whiskey. Um this is so good and easy drinking. So, um, yeah, be, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, I've had the other variations, but I've never had them back-to-back like this. So it'll be uh, interesting to actually try to taste what uh, the cast finishing does to this this 12-year-old McAllen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, again, this is something <clears throat> we've never really been able to do is taste a single a single distiller's expression in three different forms like this so um you know like we said mccallan is very prevalent in the new bond series they they paid a lot for their sponsorship uh you know we we talked a lot about last month on the mccallan 10 episode where uh bond drinks mccallan 10 when he's off on his own and then he breaks into m's apartment in skyfall and drinks her mccallan 18 so nice of him right yeah McAllen 18, too, is one Scott that's going absolutely through the through up, the roof. Huh? Up and up and up. It's getting ridiculous. Yeah. 
It's absolutely getting ridiculous. Uh, so McAllen is undergoing a, a drastic change in their in their branding and their uh, their product. Uh, from you know they used to have the ten. We talked about that long gone. The Fine Oak series is gone. Uh, they used to have the seventeen uh, Fine Oak. The fifth I think is the fifteen still there. Fifteen still there, still but it's 15? it's labeled okay. as labeled as triple cask. Okay. So there's and 12, 15, and 18. It, now. And then it used to be uh, 18 just sherry oak and yep. now there's a fine or then now there's a triple cast. Yeah. So the, what so, was the fine was 10, 15, 17? 10, 15, 17. Yeah. Now I had the 17 when we were in London uh, just about last time last year this time. It was really really good. Price point, it's just about the same as McAllen 18, and honestly, I think I would spend the extra maybe 20 bucks to get the McAllen 18. Yeah, McAllen 18 is dynamite. I mean, that's that's. I mean, I think it's going up probably a hundred dollars, if not more, since I've kind of gotten to the whiskey scene. A, oh, a easily. Bottle, if if not, probably more. I feel like it was. I know. I do feel like it was like mid one, you know, one fifty, one eighty, and now it's two eighty. Uh, yeah. The last, the last bottle of McAllen 18 I purchased was like 2010. It was 149 dollars a bottle. Now I, I don't see it for under 289, 269 is the least amount I've yeah. ever seen it for. Yeah. It's it's pricey. But look, enough of uh, McAllen's uh, nefarious history, <laughs> uh, or nefarious recent history, I should say. Let's drink some McAllen 12. Let's talk about these whiskeys. While we, uh, what we're going to do is, so what we've got three glasses here in front of us. Jeeves has brought all three bottles to the bar. Thank you, buddy. And we are going to pour a little bit of each. We're going to talk about the colors. And we're going to then go into each one individually. See what they, see what they kind of taste like. See what they nose like. And, and see if we can tell the difference. I got to keep my glasses straight. This is going to be difficult. Let's put the put the bottles in the middle and then keep our glasses on each side of the table in go. front of the bottle. <clears throat> that way that way we know which is which. So what do you think and we talked kind of briefly about this, what do you think about the new packaging from McAllen that's even yeah. available down on the twelve even the twelve year has this new packaging. Yeah, so this is sexy as fuck. Not gonna lie. It is beautiful. Love the new Chevron logo at the top. The uh, the twelve year age statements right on the top, and like this gold leaf thing they got going on. <laughs> um, so you the label is the label is perfect. I love the label of the Macallan because it's so perfectly clean. It's not it's not overly done. There's nothing superfluous about it. It's just it's just well done. Yeah, simple little. The only thing I don't like. And I noticed this on the McAllen Estate we have in the back, is that this weird seal, this like tamper-proof seal, doesn't fully lock down like the old glasses do, the old uh, bottles do. Yeah. Well, the old one, the old packaging just had the gold foil and the black plastic plastic capped cork, and it didn't. It had a more Honestly, it had a more exposed look to the seam, so it just it wasn't as noticeable. Where the yeah. new, the new kind of all gold 
Uh, it's almost like a, it's a foil, but it's like thick. It's almost like a gold plastic. It is plastic, it, probably. It, yeah, all it the is way. plastic. So the whole so yeah, it's plastic. Even but even the neck is plastic. Where on on a, yes. the older bottle you had foil. So when the plastic separate, the plastic's airtight on the shelf. But when you break that seal, there's no way to get it back to that airtight. That airtight. Right. Look. I think it's I think it's still airtight. Well, it's just it doesn't latch down the same way as. I it. guess I'm saying look like sure. the the look on the shelf is a seamless gold plastic, and you can't get that seamless look. Yeah, there's always going to be like a gap where that that tamper proof. It, it's literally like the the tamper seal on a bottle of water that you you know get at a grocery yeah, store. Yeah, yeah, you'll never make it look the same. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's the only drawback to the to the bottle. It is it is nice to look at. I'm not gonna lie. So yeah, they do they do a good job too of color color coordinating each bottle for the year. Is your the new double cast? You have a new double cask? Yeah. What colors the? No, no, I have, I have the old one. It's blue, and I believe it's still blue to this day. Yeah, it's a dark blue, and, have, and the triple is a light, yeah. and then the uh, twelve yeah. is like white. Yeah, so it's so like the, white navy the, and royal, you would maybe call. Uh, yeah, this. it's kind of like a royal blue. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, because the 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 Macallan Twelve double cask is like a darker blue, like almost like a navy blue. Yeah. And then the Macallan Twelve triple cask is like a baby blue. So not so much sky blue, but a little darker than sky so blue. So first, I remember this kind of bottle cut design was on the rare cask. It was the first time I yes. remember seeing this kind of V, like you call it, kind of chevron uh, cut. And now they've taken that rare cast bottle, which that rare cast was, even the bottle itself was flared, where these are a little bit more straight side. They have a little mm -hmm. bit of flare at the shoulder, but more straight side, where I feel the rare cast like flared out a lot more, um, a lot more over the whole bottle. But there's another, I don't know if you've seen the new bottles, there's another big dog in the, in the scotch that's got a very similar bottle cut now. Have you seen new Glen? No. Glenfiddich has got. If you look at the I new Glenfiddich, it's got a new, but it's lower, like at the waist instead of in the shoulders. I saw the uh, I saw the new logo. I did not see the new uh, the new bottle shape. But yeah, you're you're right. This is kind of like a soldier standing pretty tall. It's got these nice squared off shoulders. It looks like I, I it kind of kind of looks like an Oscar statue a little bit. Yeah. Like you want to start thanking the Academy. <laughs> I would thank if I just was getting, they just give me 18 and a rare cat. Right. <laughs> yeah, pop up to the stage and be like, okay, where's my uh, McAllen M? Yeah. Yeah, now that's a sexy bottle. Oh, yeah, it is. All right, so look, let's, uh, let's start with the color. Um, noticeable difference between the three of these. I mean, there is... A slight bit of difference between the cherry oak and the double cask, but then there's a big difference between the massive, triple cask. Massive difference in the in the triple cask. The triple cask honestly looks a little, just like a little bit darker than what the uh, uh, the ten used to be. Yeah. What would you call that straw? That's straw. I would, yeah, I would call. Yeah, I mean, I would call the 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 twelve triple straw colored. 
So I'm assuming that's only because of the blend is much more European oak. I don't know mm-hmm. what the, the in that one obviously than the other. Yeah. So this. The, so let's we'll start with the. Let's just start talking about the, the, yeah, the talk triple about the, cast right now. Okay. Um. So this one is a series of single malt whiskeys that are crafted in triple cast combination of first American uh, European oak, or I'm sorry, European and American sherry seasoned oak cast. So that's the first right. two. So it's two types of oak, and then one type of ex Amer- uh, American ex bourbon oak cast. So you get the three different casts through that. Um. I don't know if maybe it's there. I mean, because there's still two sherry casts. Maybe it's the ex bourbon barrel that just doesn't have that sherry finish that gives it that same dark color. Let's quickly talk about the uh, what goes into this triple cast since we're talking about the color. Uh, this is a series of single malt whiskeys that have been aged in first a you know one third of this bottle comes from European American sherry seasoned oak or a European sherry seasoned oak. One third of this comes from American cherry seasoned oak. And then the other third, the last third, comes from American ex bourbon oak cast. So it, it's got a little bit of everything that McAllen does in it. And I guess that because there's a portion of this that comes from the American ex bourbon cast, that we're not getting that dark, dark sherry color. It's lightened it up enough to go from the color that you, you get in the 10 to the color you would get in the 12. Well, I'm going to think that this isn't a true one-third, one-third, one-third blend. It can't blend. be. Um, just because that simple fact. You're, you're right. I mean, the the bourbon doesn't give it as much color as the as the sherry. And let's think, I mean, honestly, let's think about it. That, that second fill cast has got to be costing them way cheaper. They've got to be able to get way more for, for less, you know, to age the whiskey in. So why not... Why not use the mask? Stretch it out a little bit. You'd also would think that that same juice in those same barrels is going into a lot of the non-age statement product. So, I mean, we're, right. we're buying barrels for less. We're buying tons of more barrels. We're filling it with juice, and we're pulling it off at different stages to make different products. And then when it hits 12, hey, we mix it with our single, yeah. sherry, our double, and then, you know, and, and put out this product that... Look, I, I'm sure it's, it's we'll get ready we'll I, get ready to taste it. I'm I, sure it's a great product, but let's let's be honest. I'm at sure the end of the end of the day, this is a money maker. Oh yes, yes, and which uh, the the usual price around this one is um, sixty dollars to sixty five dollars per bottle. It's not cheap. It, this is max profit right here for McAllen. Yeah, no, no doubt. You slap that twelve on it, it gets a great <laughs> logo. It gets a great uh, boost. Um, yeah. So the double cask is just what we, you know, what we said earlier. It's American and European oak. So this one doesn't have the bur- the bourbon cask. So it's the American sherry seasoned and the European sherry seasoned. Yeah. And if you, if you compare the two colors on this one, the double and, and the sherry they're, cask. They're pretty close, right? They're pretty close. Very close. And then obviously... The uh, the moneymaker for McAllen, the one that's been around the longest, the Sherry Oak 12-year-old is uh, hand-picked Sherry Oak cast from Jerez, Spain, and it is uh, it is true McAllen 
classic and very complex. I, I love that one. That's honestly my go-to bottle that I always keep stocked at home that I can, I know when I pour that out, I'm going to enjoy every sip of it. Yeah. You know what you're, you know what you're getting for sure. So Scott, start at the uh, tried and true. Do we work our way back? How do you, how do you want to drink through these? You know what? Let's, let's start with the tried and true. Let's start with the uh, sherry cask. Uh, love the color on this one. Really dark gold. It's like almost bronze. Yeah, and this is, is this no color added? No color added, no chill filter. This is, to me, this is, and I know there's other people out there that may say other companies, but this, to me, this is, this is the Buffalo Trace of, of single malt scotch. Like, this is what I base everything else around. Yeah. When you just think of smelling single malt, I mean, it, it's got, obviously it's got that juicy malted barley. It's got the ripe fruit. It's got a little bit of like, it almost has like a little bit of fresh ocean air. Yeah. In the bottle. What I, you know, what I, what I kind of say about Macallan 12 Sherry, this defines the Sherry cask whiskey category yeah like everything stems from this a lot of a lot of scotch distilleries do a sherry seasoned bottle this is the cream of the crop this is where it all starts that really dark dark rich fruits on the nose mahogany-ish color on the on the appearance it just you look at this glass and you say i'm ready to enjoy every single drink and I love the smell of this. I love the aroma every time I nose it. Yeah. It's the vanilla, the toasted wood, the dried dark fruits, the, the sherry fruits that are are ever-present. That rich spice. And a nice bit of vanilla on that nose. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. You can get all those classic, <clears throat> classic, classic smells. Straight out the, uh, out the bottle, vanilla. I mean, to me, it's just the fruitiness. The fruitiness rings through vanilla. It's got a little bit of oak happening. Yeah, not a not a ton of oak. It's just nicely toasted. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I I mean I could I could sit here and nose this one all day. You're right. There is a little bit of like, not so, not uh, like peat, but a little salty air. I mean, it just kind of tastes like open, just open ocean air. But yeah, yeah, not not peat. Misty ocean air. Yeah, I I man, I love this one. All right, let's dig in. Yep. Let's get that uh, get that flavor. This is just a whiskey you could drink for any occasion. I mean, you can drink this on a Tuesday night when you get home from work. You could drink it at, I mean, a wedding. You could drink it for a celebration. I mean, it's it's um, a scotch for all occasions because it's so easy to it's so easy to drink. You don't take a you don't take a sip and you just your mind starts 
trying to figure out what's going on in your in your mouth. It's just it tastes like it's supposed. It tastes like what you expect scotch yeah. to taste. This is the scotch you introduce someone who's never had scotch before. This is where you start. Yeah, we always talk about that, and it's I mean, it's easy to see why. Yeah, love the palate on this one. Really enjoy. Like Brand said, this is one you sit down on a Tuesday. You've you've had a long day of work. You pour out a dram, and you just you know float away into this glass. You just literally check out because the the there's a there's a commercial for the uh, British Open, probably going on. I don't know, probably five years ago now. And it was uh, Ian McShane from uh, Deadwood narrating the the, uh, the commercial talking about Scotland. And they, they cut to a shot of a distillery and then pouring uh, scotch into a Glencairn glass. And honestly, that's what made me start getting Glencairn glasses was when I saw this commercial. I was like, that's how you drink scotch. And so the, there's a tagline in it. It's, it's um, have a sip and taste the malt. That's our soul, your savor. And this really is the soul of Scottish whiskey. This is what, to me, because again, it was probably my first real dram of good uh, good whiskey. This defines good Scottish whiskey. Or this starts to define it. So what do you get on the, on the palate here? I mean, this is kind of where you get those... Um, cookies, right? Like we talked about, like the whole the English British cookies, biscuits. Yeah, biscuits. <laughs> yeah, it's nicely malted. It's got um, those rich dark fruits, uh, like toffee, not butterscotch, but more of like toffee. Mm-hmm. And then, like some of the dark fruits that I always get on this one. Is figs and uh, you know rich ripe cherries, and then I love what I love about this is you get that nice little citrusy zest, that like orange zest, with just a hint of dark chocolate, and a, and a honey flavor too. There's some honey in there, but the creamy toffee is what really defines the flavor on this one. Surprisingly, on the on the palate, I don't get a ton of oak. More of the spices from like the sherry. Because if, if you've ever drank um, sweet sherry, it really gives a lot of these spices. It's but it's light. I mean, it's a it's a. I mean, let's say it's light. It's it's a medium body mm-hmm. acro- across everything. It, everything just sits well balanced. There's nothing that's too aggressive. Doesn't yeah. really it doesn't have a drying mouth feel, but it doesn't have, you know, doesn't have smoke. It doesn't have, it doesn't like I said. It, everything just is well balanced, well balanced mouth feel, um, and it's all right there, kind of present. Because you talked about the fig. When you say fig, boom, I could taste it. When you said orange, I could taste it. You know, those those flavors are all prevalent, but they're all kind of nice and balanced uh, throughout. Yeah, it's uh, it's not overly oily, but it's got a good mouthfeel. Um, uh, side note, I was wrong. McAllen does chill filter, ah. but they don't add color. Okay, no color, but it is chill filtered. Yeah, 
Um, and then the finish, I mean, I don't know. To me, it's not coating, because it's after it's kind of down, my mouth kind of goes back back to normal. It's not the flavor's not dragging me down, but I mean, on the finish, it's it stays that oak. You know, you kind of get more of I think the oakiness on the on the finish. But I'm gonna say it's mid to short short finish and and yeah. relatively light. Yeah, it's a it's a medium finish. It's not long. Uh, you know. McAllen's tasting notes on this say that it's a long, sweet mm. finish with oak and spice. I get the oak and spice. I do not get the the long finish here because it just it just coats your mouth enough and lifts off, and then you're ready for another one. It's not overly long. I wouldn't even call it long. I'd call it medium to, you know, medium short. It, it's good. It's a good finish. Nothing that is going to leave you disappointed. Nothing that's going to leave you wowed on the finish. But honestly, the entire thing from start to end is just a damn good dram of whiskey. Yeah, I mean, once again, someone that does not drink whiskey would not be scared away by this dram at all. No, not at all. Like I said, I mean, think about everything we drank over that advent calendar. And I always go back to that because we drank so much in such a short period of time. And it was easy to kind of compare things you liked and things you didn't. But you never knew what sip you were going to take. That was just going to have some kooky flavor that you just were not expecting to be in there. There's nothing in this glass of Macallan 12 that I'm not expecting to get out of a single malt scotch, scotch whiskey. Now everything there is everything that you you deserve. Yeah, everything is uh, uh, supposed to, supposed balanced. to be there, right? I mean that's yeah. And you think Absolutely. those those other big players, the Glen Levitts, the Glen Fittics, the Balvinis, all the other single malts, they're 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 trying to make this in a in a glass, or they are. I mean, you know, don't get me wrong, all those other guys make great product, um, but this is what you're trying to do. You're trying to make. Um, a very well balanced single malt, easy drinker. Yeah. Um, and man, cheers, cheers to McAllen because this this is one that I don't think I'll, I will never not have a bottle of this in my house. Absolutely. Now, uh, interesting to note because uh, I've got some notes when I had an older bottle of McAllen Twelve before, probably before we even started doing the show. Um, McAllen used to McAllen twelve used to be forty percent. This is now forty three percent. So they've actually gone up hmm. in the proof, hmm. which honestly for McAllen seems counterintuitive of what they're trying to do, which is stretch out their product until that big giant Bond villain estate starts you know starts producing the the stuff it's supposed to. Hmm. So interesting to note that it's it's gone up. I I appreciate this. So that new distillery. It's, it's churning, right? But that juice obviously mm-hmm. is not that juice is not matured enough to be. No, it's only it, the distillery is only two years old. Right. So it's got What's, another eight years before it really starts to impact their stock. Right. I mean, what's but now what what is is there a minimum age? Because you can put out a non-age statement. Scotch does it have to be a certain age to be called scotch? 
all scotch has to be at least three years old. Okay. You don't have to disclose it, but it's got to be at least three years old. Okay. You don't have to, like, so, bourbon, you don't have to say this is three-year-old scotch. No, no, like, no. Once it right. gets beyond three years old, it can be called scotch, and you don't have to disclose what it is. So next year, that distillery, or actually this year, because it's 2017 to 20, uh, 2020, yeah. this year, that distillery's product, yield, yeah, yield that, could. that area's product, will start to make its way into some of the no-age statement whiskeys, which will help help bolster the you know the 12s and the 15s and the 18s because they don't have to go back and use that product to make that same flavor hopefully yeah the hope is that with the new visitor center and distillery the product has uh, I think they said one report I, I read said that the prod, uh, the production has increased by almost 275 percent damn just because they have so many more stills now I mean they're running round the clock just in time for them to get taxed on the American yep. the American import. Hopefully, hopefully that gets fixed. Yeah, still a chance. So let's get into this double cast. Now we we've done this before. I want to say this, this on the episode the first. very first. Yeah, yeah. Pilot episode. episode one. Pilot episode. Yeah. Episode zero. <laughs> yeah, uh, double cast. We haven't visited this in a while, so it's it's time to uh, it's time to go back to Grandma's house and check this out color uh, honestly just slightly lighter than the 12 than the sherry cask so you think right lighter just a little bit i'd still call it like deep sunset yeah it's harvest sunset yeah um okay so this one just as i remember and I'll still never forget the the notes you give on this one, that fine <laughs> automotive leather. Yeah, and it it's really still, does smell like the inside there. of a I beautiful mean, car. Yeah, it's it smells like fine automotive automotive leather and creamy butterscotch. Wow, still so good. Man, it's and it's. Amazing. I mean, now I got I've got to go back and go to the the, uh, the sherry. Yeah, there's way more spice on the sherry oak. Well, I get more I get more of that fruit on the sherry and way more way yeah. Way more dark, more woody. Yeah, I mean it's double casting, man. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that's. There's way more. There's way more wood spices on this double cast than the sherry. Yeah, that sweet fruit versus the rich toffee. Toffee and apples. So a European oak is supposed to be more dense, less. I guess less seepage into the oak. I would, I would say that. It doesn't have as much penetration in the European as it does in the American oak. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that lends itself to the the wood, but I mean this this blend is totally it's not 180, but it's totally different than what the sherry it, smells yeah, it's, like. It's on the definitely nose. different. 
definitely a different uh, nose. Um, this is definitely the twelve sherry is more sweet, uh, rich dark fruits, and this is more toffee, butterscotch, and fine calfskin leather. <laughs> fine leather. And creme brulee. That's the one thing I always get on this as I'm smelling it. It's creme brulee. So McCallan says vanilla custard. Creme brulee. And, and new, yeah. And newly felled oak. Yep. They're not wrong on that. This, I don't know how, but this smells better than the sherry, than the regular sherry to me. It, they do smell really good. I mean, this is like picking favorite children. Yeah. Just, just smells fucking good. Yeah. All right, let's dig in. That is so, so delicious. I mean, it's just so easy to drink. I mean, the front end, on the front of your your tongue, it's clean, it's clean and crisp, like almost. I almost want to say like it's got a, a freaking. Uh, Honeysuckle, like yes, like it's floral, but it's sweet, kind of on the front, yeah, and it's it, and it's it's thin. It's not you know, but as it goes across your tongue, you get all those big bold, bold flavors. So with this palette for me, the honey is is right up front. A little bit of a little bit more like raisin, like golden raisins, and then it the wood spices start to take over, and that wood spice and that honestly uh, oak bark tanned leather really kind of shine through on the on the back end of the of the palate and give it this wonderful wonderful rich wood note so interesting on the McAllen website it says 40 ABV but it's definitely 43 on the bottle yes I'm wondering, 43. I'm wondering if is there a European bottling that's 40 or I wonder, have they, wonder why. Well, maybe they've gone down because we both have the old bottle, right? We do both have the old bottle, but we have the new the new version of the other ones. What is the what does the website say? I wonder for the They're forty three. Four the others. The other the website says forty three. Uh forty to forty three is what it, uh triple cast comes in at forty to forty three, probably uh, depending on each Well blend. yeah, Sher- Sherry says forty forty three as well. Yeah, so maybe maybe hmm. it is forty. And four, or, or could be 43. That's interesting. Why, how do you have... <laughs> I've never seen that. I know. We, so I've seen it when the, you do like the, batch release. The, depends on what we print out. We'll, we'll proof it down to whatever the label. Yeah. Weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, like you said, when you do a batch release, release like if this year, for 2020, we're, we're proofing it to 42. Or whatever the case may be. I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, good stuff on this palette. On the finish, what do you think? So this, to me, definitely has heavier mouthfeel. A little longer on the palette. Just as clean. And finishes like finishes clean. Like I said... Little longer, little longer stay on the on the finish, but it still goes away and leaves my mouth almost in original shape. It doesn't like destroy my 
doesn't destroy my palate. Yeah. You know, some things you drink and it's like I can taste it for, you know, 10 minutes. I can taste, uh, taste the finish. I think this is pretty clean and a little, little longer. If the, if I said mid short on the sherry, I'm going to say this is a mid, uh, mid finish, you know, medium, little heavier, um, but clean. And then flavor profiles on the finish. I mean, that definitely the the oak and wood come in um, at the end. Yeah, this one is uh, this one is way more oaky and way longer than the sherry cask. I I agree. It's medium finish, not overly long. Something that's going to give you a good mouthfeel, coat your mouth. Let's you savor it for, you know, five, ten minutes in between, or like five minutes between drinks, and then get right back into it. It's got a nice sweetness to it, though. Surprisingly, there's a little bit of, like, sweetness on this that kind of, you know, comes out of nowhere to, you know, as you kind of let this thing sit on your tongue. Um, so I just had a, a chuckle inside. I'm, I'm digging on the website looking at, the, the McAllen Double Class 12, and as you scroll down, it has ways to enjoy. Uh, and on the left mm-hmm. hand left hand side, it has, you know, uh, On the Rocks. And then on the right-hand side, it has a cocktail called Pasa Dobel, P-A-S-A-D-O-B-L-E. An elegant... Pasa Doble. Pasa Doble. An elegant the twist two-step. on a classic. But my screen didn't load the... In, like the ingredients or the description so I literally just thought it was like they were making a joke like enjoy it on the rocks or enjoy like a double on the ro- a double on the rocks because <laughs> the picture just looks like a double on the rocks like you can yeah, drink it on the rocks or you can drink a double on the rocks now the the recipe for the pasta double is actually pretty interesting so this is um, about two ounces of double cast whiskey and then a half ounce of Amontillada sherry which is a nuttier, a uh, more drying sherry. And then a pinch of smoke salt. And then just about, uh, that would be like a quarter of an ounce, maybe even less than an ounce, an eighth maple of an syrup. ounce of maple syrup. And stir that in an old-fashioned glass, glass with some rocks. And I bet that would be pretty good. Yes, that would be pretty good. That would give this a nice, like, nutty, almondy flavor. Yeah. Beautiful glassware in those. Uh, in those McAllen has too. some beautiful glassware on their website. The I'm Chevron sure. cut glasses. I'm sure they won't charge so for them. Cool. They charge for them, too. Oh, huh? yes. They, yes, they do. I want to say the, the Chevron uh, double cast glass that, that you're seeing there. I want to say it's like $40. Yeah, yikes. Glass. All right, let's uh, let's check out this eighteen or the uh, the triple cask here. I want to call it eighteen because that's the new one that I've seen on the shelves, and I rarely see this sherry cask eighteen anymore. It's mostly triple cask, which is really disappointing. Okay, interesting nose. Man, whoa! This is a lot of like summer fruit. I mean, first of all, it's definitely lighter. Yeah. Rich straw, but it's 
Man, it's got like, it's got green, green fruit, huh? Like, there's like summer melon. <laughs> I almost wanted to say like kiwi, but I don't know my. Yeah, probably honeydew. No, you're right. No, it's got to be. It, it's it's like summer melons, like kiwi, honeydew. There is a lot of vanilla on this nose. And some oak. I mean, there's there's definitely a lot of oak on this one, and I think that's probably the American X bourbon barrels playing, you're right, playing more of this whiskey than the sherry barrels. But why would it be pulling that from those X bourbon? I don't know. You know. There's a ton of vanilla and lemon on this one. And melon. Yeah, so much, like, this is a really, this honestly smells like a summer whiskey. Um, like something you would drink in the heat of the summer. It's still, yeah, like you said, it still kind of has the vanilla. Man, there's something. Ma like, not mango. There, the, God, there's this weird, like, fruit note that I can't put a smell to. Yeah, not cantaloupe. Because cantaloupe's more of that, like, juicy flavor. I, I, I don't know. But there's a whole lot of melon going on here. And a lot of vanilla. And lemon. And th there's really nothing much more on the nose here that, that's standing out. This is, this is complex. Honestly. It's, Man, it's there's hard to a figure out what it is. There's a um, a cream, some type of like a uh, I don't know. There's something to me. There's something kind of funk in here too that I that I hit. But every once in a while I have that that where grapefruit smells funky to me. But it's kind of like a funk in here. There's a lot of citrus in this thing. Whether it's lemon or there might there there is kind of a little bit of like ruby red grapefruit you can kind of smell on it maybe that's the f flavor i'm getting all right let me, let me taste this because i i gotta i gotta get in here and, and get a little more flavor on this thing what about to like toast like white bread take a drink you'll i i get where you're going with the white bread the smell and the flavor kind of get that toasted uh, like toasted malt I know what it is. Wait for the finish. Th th this dram, this drink, cannot be parsed out into, like, you can't do the nose, then the palate, then the finish. This one you kind of have to drink and go all the way through before you start talking about it. Papaya. See, you know, I couldn't pick that out of there. I'm not a, I mean, I couldn't tell you if I've ever had papaya. Oh, I, I, I like papaya. Hmm. It's on, it's as you get through the finish, as you get through the, the end of it, you get this like bright, bright fruit. Very sweet, very sugary, very syrupy. There's no doubt that there's fruit throughout. Man, there is. If that's what you're talking about in the finish, I mean, the, the finish, there's definitely a strong singular like flavor syrup, kind of in that. Like syrupy, though. It's, it's not like a. Uh, rich cherry. It's not like a you know maple flavor. This is a syrupy fruit syrup. 
It honestly tastes like that fruit cocktail in a glass. Hmm. So, on the nose for me, now, like, going through all of this, you know, really rich vanilla, you know, summer melons, papaya, um, uh, honeydew, citrus, some lemon zest, lemon flavors to it, real, real bold lemon, actually. I kind of like this one. This is one I would be glad to have in the, in the heat of the summer. And it's crazy as light, and this is another where color is deceptive, but lighter color, and I get I get a longer, thicker, finishing mouthfeel on this. I do too. It's not oaky. Well, it, it is oaky. There is definitely oak in there. Yeah. But, but oak is not the note that's like screaming on the finish. For something with three different kinds of cask, you would think it would be more oaky, but it's really not. Hmm. So you say that, pretty- but I, you say that, but then there's a lot of those fresh green fruit that I almost could kind of say it's got a young oak. It tastes the youngest of the of the bunch. Because of maybe that green fruitness and I don't know. I'll be honest with you. If you didn't put a 12 on this one, I wouldn't call it a 12-year-old. You wouldn't have picked it as being that old? I think I, I can agree with that. I, I would honestly say if this was a no-age statement, I'd probably say they made most of this like six, seven-year-old whiskey. It does have a young flavor to it but it but it works and it's, it's not look it is totally the the polar opposite of of the other of the other oh, end. Yeah. i mean if 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 12's down the middle and you you know I, double cask is big rich bold dark deep and and this is kind of the other the other side of that and if you would have told me that by adding x american bourbon it would have did that i'd have said you're crazy but maybe it's it's pulling a lot of the sweetness corn sweetness and rise or whatever you know whatever else out of that bourbon cask some of the sweetness that you don't get from typical barley yeah it's a it's an interesting flavor profile it's mm-hmm. not bad it, it, I will say when we go to rank these and we're about to do that now um, it's probably going to be my least favorite of it but I do like it well following up double cask but before we we do that we had some gizmos to discuss oh yeah uh Let's let's uh, you know we'll sit and we'll drink some more of these as we talk a little bit about uh, rank, a little bit about James Bond. And yeah, speaking of ranking, one of one of the things Brent and I love is luxury watches. We we have have sat down here in the speakeasy and looked at different luxury watches, looked at different uh, watches we own and want to own, and may lots, own in the future. Lots of want to owns. Oh yeah, lots of want to owns. So, what is more synonymous with James Bond than 
his watch. It makes an appearance in almost every single film. How much product placement Product placement is this? I got a story to start this. Bef- you know, Before we get started on the watches, I do want to tell this story, but so much product placement now. The, the James Bond watch has done everything from, uh, from you know, laser cut, the steel, the steel bottom of a train, to uh, pull down the zipper of a young lady's dress. And, <laughs> and it's, it's fun to look back at these watches and see what is cool, what is, uh, you know, cliche, and what is just absolutely beautiful. So we got to start with the first one. So in 1962... James Bond first appeared on the silver screen uh, in Dr. No. Prior to that, so 10 years prior to that, Fleming starts writing his novels, Casino Royale. And throughout the novels, Bond wears one watch, and that's a Rolex, because that was the watch that was given to British, uh, British naval intelligence at the time. Okay. So they're filming, uh, they're filming Dr. No, and the budget is not big. And if you've seen Dr. No, the budget's terrible. Most of it they film in Jamaica because Jamaica is still a, uh, a province of the, of the British Empire at the time. Cubby Broccoli, the, the producer of James Bond, Albert Broccoli, really wanted to introduce Sean Connery to finer things because when you're playing James Bond, you wear fine things. Sean Connery was a, was a bodybuilder. He was a thug. He was not into fine things. He didn't own a Rolex. He had never been to Savile Row. So Cubby takes him over to Savile Row. He, ta- he introduces him to his tailor. He shows him what James Bond is supposed to wear or supposed to do. The budget for this was so small they, they couldn't actually buy a Rolex for the film. So Cubby actually lent Sean Connery his Rolex for the film. And because they couldn't, uh, they didn't uh, have time to switch out the, uh, you know, c- fix the strap. They slap on a NATO strap, which we, it, today is all the rage with watches. Omega has kind of cornered the market on NATO straps, but back in the day, and, and you you look at this uh, this beautiful NATO strap. It's the the black with the red with the green. It almost looks like the Gucci. Uh, coloring scheme and so that's where you know that's where it all starts with this rolex uh submariner it's pretty interesting so yeah the the have uh, the submariner with the the nato strap is pretty crazy um, i'm looking at mm-hmm. looking at it right now take a look that's pretty pretty interesting so he wore that throughout the film when he was in the tuxedo yes. to Pretty much, that was the only watch he wore because that was the only watch they had at the time. <laughs> and I'm and I'm sure if you, if you had a Submariner from the '60s, right now you could probably retire. Oh yes, yeah, absolutely, definitely could. So, Doctor, this one it says this same watch is in Doctor No, from Russia with Love and Goldfinger. Yep, yep, same watch in Goldfinger. Uh, classic, uh, classic watch. I mean. That uh, I don't even know, know what you call it. It's like a tri-star like circle on the hour hand. That is classic Rolex. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Almost like Mercedes Benz. Uh, yeah, tri-star. It looks like, like, yeah, it does. It looks like the Mercedes Benz logo. Yeah. But it's a beautiful watch. I mean, the Rolex Mariner to this day still looks the same. Doesn't go out of style. 
It's got the uh, elongated rectangle hour markers with the triangle up at the top, and then the uh, the, dot, uh, the dots at the other hour markers. Just looks so beautiful. We start to get into some of uh, some of the fun watches as Thunderball comes around. Um, now, Thunderball actually has a couple of watches. So there's the Breitling. Uh, top time chronograph that doubles as a Geiger counter because this is where we start to get gadgets in. Breitling, obviously, wonderful watches. This one, if you ever look at it, look for it. It's a clunky, to me, it's a clunky watch, but it's supposed to double as a Geiger counter because, again, he's looking for these nuclear warheads underwater, and what better way to find nuclear warheads underwater than a Geiger counter? In your watch. Yeah, in your watch. Breitling Top Time. Yeah, see, that is a, a, a ugly some gun right there. Not a great one. So, fun fact, uh, the watch that was used in this filming was taken offset by one of the crew and then later sold and found its way to an English flea market. And it was purchased in 2013 for 25 pounds. The owner wow. saw it. There the, the the buyer saw it, said, I'll give you 25 quid for it. And the the person who had it in their possession was like, yeah, sure, take it. Hmm. You know, because, again, it doesn't have, it has the Breitling name on it, but it doesn't have, like, the diamond cut bezel that Breitling is famous for nowadays. So it wasn't easily recognizable. And the owner that bought it at this flea market for 25 pounds later turned around, sold the watch at auction, for a nice chunk of change, a hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, that is a reasonable investment. I'm about to say that's pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, pretty damn good for sure. Yeah, uh, so we um, get <clears throat> there. They have an aviation watch, the Avenger. Is that what? That's it. Yeah, I figured they had their signature name for it. Yeah, I'm it's, not, it's I mean, a nice I watch. Like, I like, uh, oh, and their dive watch is the su- is Super Ocean. Breitling okay. Super Ocean is there. So they have Aviator and Super Ocean mm-hmm. and a bunch of other shit in between, but that's their flight and dive. Um, so, yeah, in you know, as we get into kind of a new era of James Bond, uh, you only live twice. Sean Connery's la- second to last film, really. And he wears a Gruen, uh, very plain Gruen gold watch. It's, it's uh, you know, Swiss watch maker, very nice, very well made, but just nothing fancy to it. It's a plain gold dial with uh, 12369 dial markers and then, uh, you know, plain mother of pearl face. Hmm. Now the rumor is this came out of uh, because this was late to filming because Sean Connery just did not want to do another Bond film, and eventually he was convinced by Broccoli to do it, and they really didn't have time to get the production company up to speed, so he just said, "Fine, I'll grab one of my own personal collection." Because by this time, you know, five years after he's done James Bond films, Sean Connery's made bank. Yeah, he's, he's starting to get into this lifestyle. He's a household name, and he's living it. He's living up the Bond lifestyle mm-hmm. on the street. Yeah, so he this one is 
rumored to come out of his own personal collection. Basically just grabbed a watch out of his own collection and showed up to filming. Uh, in 69, we get into On Her Majesty's Secret Service, the Rolex Chronograph. Beautiful watch again. This is, this is a watch that has uh, three dials on it inside the dial. So you've got the Rolex crown on the top. Mm -hmm. And then you got a second hand uh, marker for the left side. Uh, and then a 30 second marker for the uh, right side. And then an hour marker for the bottom when you're doing chronograph timing. So it's got all the, this one has all the gadgets, and then the sweeping uh, tachometer on the, uh, on the, at the 12 hand. So there's, say, that so that see. watch is actually a, was actually a five, uh, 5513 Submariner that was a pre-Daytona chronograph, which I can imagine that watch would be insanely oh, collect yeah. collectible, uh, collectible now. The Daytona replaced it, what, 72-ish? Like 70s, early 70s. Yeah. So yeah, this is a Daytona before Daytona, and if you could, if you had the Submariner 5513, that would be it. that would be pricey. But then we get into uh, really where the gadgets start to trick out, and this kind of sparks the change from James Bond who he is to James Bond, what he was in the 70s, and that's the Roger Moore films. And Live and Let Die comes out in 1973. In the first part of this uh, part of the movie, uh, Bond is wearing a Rolex Submariner 5513, you know, standard Rolex. And then he gets a visit from M at his apartment, and Q Branch gives him the Pulsar LED digital watch. This is hideous. It's absolutely disgusting to look at. This is why those films are notorious for being shit, right? Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> well, of the because the Seiko the Seiko watch the yeah this is where you get in some bad watches, but this one has a circular saw built into it <laughs> and a magnet, which helps Bond out of a couple you know predicaments. But this is the one in the in the scene where the Italian spy is in the closet and she comes out she's fully dressed, and James Bond uses the magnet in the watch to slowly. Pull down the zipper on her dress and undress her. So, I, I can tell you, I honestly haven't. If I've seen these in, in passing, maybe, but haven't seen them all the way. But when you just think about a circular saw and a magnet and a space, how does that how does that work? I don't know. I don't know. But it's movie magic at its finest. Absolutely, these right. were. This is a horribly ugly watch, but great gadgets in it. Right. Uh, now, 77, we get into The Spy Who Loved Me. Great film, wonderful song. Oh, but... Se now Seiko comes, yeah. This is, this is where we actually get into the first paid-for advertising in a James Bond series. And Seiko comes in and they say, we are going to pay to have our watches in these films. And in... 1977's The Spy Who Loved Me. Uh, Roger Moore wears a Seiko 0674 LCD digital watch. It is everything that is just not James Bond. You know, we, we look at today's Bond with Omega, Connery's Bond with Rolex. This is just a plain 
digital watch that you could buy at your local Walmart for 19.95. Yeah, now he did rock it with the with the metal stainless band. True. But uh, still, I mean, I get it though because at the time they were probably trying to make this a futuristic statement like James Bond's you know has all these futuristic yeah. gas you know gizmos and gadgets so I mean I get it but when you look back at it now you're like Jesus Christ like that was you know I'm looking at a picture of it and it, and it had the the <laughs> like digital digital uh, numbers but it had the bar that had the initials for the date and like and it would actually move across oh, yeah. the screen Sunday <laughs> Monday Tuesday Wednesday <laughs> In yeah. case you forgot what day it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, hey, this, the, this one, I have a, have a watch that has the day. I have a day date now that has that tells <laughs> me the day and the date. That's true. Uh, this one did have a, a cool feature. It did receive messages that would would print out on like one of those uh, label makers. Yeah, style. like a little bit. <laughs> Yeah. Like where was he uh, keeping the roll of tape? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it prints out uh, tiny little messages from uh, from M, so uh, it, it's kind of kind of nice. Uh, but there is a there is a Rolex that it makes an appearance, the GMT, which is the 24 hour uh, mm-hmm. dial hand. So basically, on that watch, you've got your your main numbers, your one through 12, and then slightly underneath it is a uh, 13 through 24 that appear on it. So when you know the rest of the world. Not America tells time zero zero through twenty four, and uh, so that's a, that's a way that that kind of keeps the analog spirit alive. Now we yeah, get to the big maker. So does it the twenty the the twenty four hand moves half as slow as the hour hand? Hour hand, yeah, yes. hour hand. So when the hour hands when the hour hands on noon when it makes noon the, the 24 hand would be on six o'clock would be completely south six o'clock 12 yeah or yeah exactly yeah six o'clock on the 12 hour hand but would be yeah. 12 making its way around and, and I guess what the idea is that you set that on GMT time so no matter where you're at in the world if you know what your plus or minus GMT is you always know what what which time is, it's is. mainly for those that travel in and out of time zones, so like you always know when when Greenwich Mean Time is. Yeah. Um, all right. Cool. So Moonraker, again, you know, we've talked about it with Chris. One of the, one of the worst films that came out of the James Bond series. It was so futuristic. It was literally trying to capitalize on Star Wars. Uh, this was a space theme movie, and they went all digital on this watch with the Seiko. Uh, M354 memory bank calendar. So, again, this would have memos that could flash up to you. You could set dates on it. It had, it had little like memos for you to remember, you know, calendars. Like you could set a date, say, oh, next week I have a dentist appointment. Let me put that into my calculator watch, my memory bank calendar watch. Mm-hmm. Quartz and digital and just. Not good. So basically, that's the whole memory bank about this was that you could, it knew what today's date and time was, and you could tell it, hey, five days from now at this time, just alert me. Yeah. But I wonder, but it, when it alerted you, you had to remember what the fuck the alert was. <laughs> the alert was. Yeah, for. exactly. You, it couldn't say dentist office. 
No, like, no. It just, it just went beep, 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 beep. You had to go, oh, shit, yep. why is this thing beeping at me right now? <laughs> what, did, what did I have this on today? I have yeah, no idea. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. the cool gadget in this one was a, uh, a small charge of C4, which Bond uses to escape the certain death of being trapped inside the exhaust chamber of the Moonraker shuttle. So he, what he does, he, he takes his watch, and on the back, on the, behind the casing is a C4 explosive and a detonator that he can use to, uh, to detonate that C4. Pretty cool. But super bad, super ugly watch. Yeah. All right, when do we get back into good watches? Uh, we're still in Seco because it's still Roger Moore. It's uh, 1981s for your eyes only. This has not one but two Seco watches. Uh, both now have gotten back to the analog face except the Seco uh, duo display, which is the H357 had an anal- a square analog face with GMT uh, markers and then a digital display up at the top of it which would usually read the uh, would, you know I don't, I don't know what it read it was like weird in this one they used it for uh, uh, for messages but it was like text messages that would would be printed on the on the screen but it also had a built-in microphone in the movie so and the other one is a Seiko Diver's Watch. Much more standard that Seiko makes today. And honestly, it's a beautiful watch. It really is. It's got the smaller face, but it's got really big luminescent dials. Nice watch. Yeah, that Duo just basically had, like you said, the, the traditional uh, analog watch. And it had a, a small digital screen that I guess you could count. It had some buttons where you could either... Um, display uh, day date or you can mm-hmm. I think it's stopwatched so it might have yeah, been one of the ones with, that had a yeah had an actual digital but it had a digital chronograph because um, mm-hmm. you know when you're at the office you need to have a chronograph um, might as well have it on the same watch that you're wearing as your yeah as your everyday living watch the world it makes you think about what was going on in these times. Like that, that was oh, some, something people were just like, "Oh God, this is gonna. This is what people need. They need a stopwatch. Yeah. I need a stopwatch at the office." Scandalous title, Octopussy, mm. and just as scandalous as a watch. Uh, this is a a rugged, tough Seiko that Roger Moore rocks. It's got a weird digital display with a digital chronograph in the top left corner and alarms dual timers which one is this the quartz diver or there's a couple different ones it says huh? no this one this one's the seco g757 sports 100 it's basically a sports watch and, and again 1983 uh casio's come out with sports watches it, it's the day and age of the sports watch So Casio's hitting the market at this point. Yeah, Casio started to hit the market. We've got the you know, oh, calculator whoa. watch coming out. Whoa, this thing is weird looking. Weird, right? <laughs> weird. <laughs> what I mean, there's a there's a world map on this thing. Mm-hmm. I'm, yeah, I, it's uh. I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of intrigued as what the. F- Shit, this so, thing did. 
So one of this, one of the features of this watch was that it actually had a GPS system built into it. Uh, not not in the watch that you and I could buy, but in the right. James Bond watch. Right. Had a GPS tracker in it that uh, they could keep track of Bond's movements, and that's where you see the, uh, you know, like they, they would put him on a world map. It was interesting. You know, finally, it, you know, 1987 comes around, we get a new Bond, Timothy Dalton. This is where I, what I call Rambond. It's kind of like Rambo meets James Bond, and it's Rambon. much more rugged. Yeah, Rambond. It's much more rugged. This is the only film where we get this watch, and this is your boy, Tag Heuer. There you go. Divers. So Tag Heuer gets gets a, a yeah, gets a, uh, a nod in this one, the professional night dive reference number 9803031. It's it's a really cool watch. The the thing about this one is the face is actually illuminated rather than the dial markers. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, this was an interesting watch. Again, the face is the is illuminated, not the uh, not the dial markers, but pretty cool. It's it's not really uh, featured heavily in the film. It's got no gadgets, no no nothing that was uh, really really impactful in the movie. Okay, so now we get into the modern day uh, watch, and this is where Omega takes over. 1995. Pierce Brosnan starts this uh, partnership with Omega, and I don't know if it was because Pierce knew Omega before that, or that the Bond Eon uh, production company decided to go with Omega to license out all of the watches in James Bond film. They've been there ever since, so it's been uh, 25 years of James Bond watches with Omega. It's pretty cool. Yeah, so uh, the first one, the quartz version of the Omega Seamaster Professional 300M. Again, you look it up, it's it's what everyone thinks of when they think of Omega. Uh, the blue wave dial, the, the naval watch, the seahorse on the back. This one was pretty cool. This one had some awesome features. It had a laser inside the, the bezel dot. So when, when James Bond needs to cut out of, uh, uh, cut out of a, a situation, he takes his watch off and he uses it as a laser beam to cut the metal uh, off the bottom of the train that is um, would be an awesome an awesome feature today whenever I need to like open up my Amazon package I could just like sear it with <laughs> sear it with a laser yeah right yeah I'm like when would I need a laser beam in my everyday life when I lock myself uh, okay. out of the garage, I could just... Now, Omega stays as the co-star of Tomorrow Never Dies, World Is Not Enough, and Die Another Day. And honestly, it's the same exact watch. Uh, this time, we finally get into uh, the automatic version of it, the reference number 2561.80. Um, nothing special about the watch in Tomorrow Never Dies. In World Is Not Enough, the... The, uh, the dial, the, the hour markers on the dial actually provide a really, really bright, radiant light source and then a rescue cable with a grappling hook. So, pretty cool uh, cool gadgets in that one. Um, except for the fact that you would pull your arm out of the socket, but Probably. besides that, um, I do remember that in the films. That would be pretty, pretty badass. Yeah. What, it, so what when, did you you said it was you had two six 
2561.8.0. Yeah. And again, automatic, but it is, um, it's the, the face has the luminescent uh, hour markers that are kind of flush with the face. Later on, um, they will go to a raised uh, hour markers, raised uh, dial markers, which is the one I have. That's, I love that watch. It's, it's a nice, light, 41-millimeter watch, nothing that is uh, overly opulent, but perfectly... So is that a gas entrapment, a gas entrapment valve kind of at the 10 o'clock? Yes, position. it's got a helium valve. A helium valve. And now that actually becomes an explosive charge in the valve that can be detonated via the bezel and a another laser. That's right. He, so, he, so you could set you set the bezel as the timer mm-hmm. on the watch and then it becomes an explosive you, you, what, what Bond did was he could actually unscrew the helium gas valve uh, on the 10 o'clock position and then use that as the... As the the actual detonator, and then he would stick it to C4 or whatever. He needed a detonator, wherever he needed okay. to detonate something, and then press the crown, and then it would detonate the, uh, the the bomb. And then again, the powerful laser returns in the watch's crown, and he uses that to uh, to escape some tricky situations. So we get into the as we get into the the Daniel Craig series. Uh, as I finish up my McAllen double cask, this one was really good. I really enjoy this double cask. I think just a little bit better than the Sherry cask right now. I don't know why. I think our rankings will be the same three, two, one. So why don't we just start with let's rank number three, which I think okay. for both both of us is probably the triple cask. Talk, talk yeah. me through why. Talk me through. You tell me why compared to these three, but then tell me, I guess, what you think about it as a sta- as a standalone. Okay, uh, as a standalone, I think the triple cask. I'm gonna pour out the rest of it here. Um, oh, oh, I'm not drinking the whole dram of these tonight, Mister well, Mister. I haven't gone to any more of our other bottles. We're going to save those because I like those. But okay. we can we can drink some of the triple cask. This to me is a good summer whiskey. It's light. It's fruity. It is soft. It's not overly aggressive. I would I would think this would make a great cocktail whiskey. I just don't love it neat. I'm going to add a splash of water to the other. I'd say ounce of this thing and see what it does I have a feeling it's going to really really brighten up the fruit notes it's okay it's alright it's better than amber put it that way well a lot of, you, well a lot of shit's better but than you, so you might put Glen, the Glenfiddich 1963 above <laughs> I, I, think, above I think I did actually yeah what do you think um I don't disagree. Um, I think that you're right. It's it's definitely an awesome summer drink. This would be one that I would maybe even do like a scotch mist or something that's on the lighter yeah. side, on the floral side with um, with this cocktail. Um, keep it keep its strengths in that light floral citrusy kind of a 
kind of range. Um, yeah, don't don't hate it. I don't know. What do you um, where you put this at? See, I, I think you're right. I think this would make a wonderful Scotch Mist with the lemon flavors to it. I give this one an 84. It's good, not great. I um, I mean, I, I agree. I, I gave it an, a tick higher than you. I, get, I actually gave it an 85, um, being for the one that I liked the least of uh, of the bunch. I still think it's a pretty solid whiskey standalone because um, it still does. I think it still does what it's supposed to do, and it still stays kind of tried and true to McAllen. And it's, I mean, you can tell it's full of quality, and it's a good, good glass. Yeah, it is a good glass. I mean. You're not going to go wrong with it. Adding the water, it definitely brings out more of those like citrusy notes, more of the fruit notes. So, yeah, I think this would be a great summer summer Scotch Mist. Really good cocktail. So, Scott, you you wear Omega pretty much exclusively. Yes, I have two Omegas. One is the you know we talked about it. It's the Seamaster um, 300M. It's a beautiful blue watch. I really like it. I wear it with blue suits. I wear it with, you know, blue jeans. I swap out a rubber strap, a NATO strap. It's a very versatile watch. Very light, too. But we come to my favorite watch that I own, and that was featured in Casino Royale. Again, no gadgets in any of the Daniel Craig watches until we get to Spectre. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this is a big, bold Planet Ocean Omega Seamaster Professional. It's waterproof up to 600 meters. I don't think I'll ever go 2,000 feet below the uh, Earth's surface underwater, but you know what? I know my watch can handle it. <laughs> in case, in case. In case. In case I do, I've got a watch that'll tell the time 2,000 feet below uh, sea level. So six, it's a six hundred meter. So that's, yeah. So yes. my dot, my dot is a three, is a three hundred. So yeah, twice as far. That's pretty, it's pretty, pretty wicked. Deep. It's pretty wicked. I think I got in maybe thirty feet below at the Jersey Shore. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> I think I think I took it to to get a uh, one of the dog toys off the the bottom of the, the skimmer at the bottom of the pool <laughs> the pool one time. Yeah, might have got uh, might have got to a cool eight feet. So mine, mine originally comes with uh, two straps. It came with a uh, silicone rubber strap. Uh, you know, I'll tell you what, it is great for the Florida weather because it, it's very light. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't bunge up on your skin, and it really dries off quickly in that hot, hot heat. So I, I really like this one. Again, featured mostly in Casino Royale where he wears this uh, Planet Ocean along with the Seamaster Diver 300M, uh, the one, both, of, both of which I own. And coincidentally, he's also my favorite movie. So this one is a, this one's a black face, black bezel. Yep. St- stainless. Um, you had a stainless band, yeah, you said? Yeah, sta- it's got a stainless band. I have a stainless band that I uh, swap in and out every once in a while when I when I go to dressier occasions I wear the stainless band there you go uh, came back from Quantum this time with the, uh, the stainless band again nothing nothing special about the uh, about the watch no 
no gadgets, just it's just there. Uh, Skyfall, we get the same thing. You know, Seamaster uh, Planet Ocean 600M. He wears uh, the 300M at some points in the film. Uh, this one is a little bit different. It's got a smaller case. I think it's got a 43 millimeter instead of the 45.5. And uh, the only difference is Seamaster is in orange and the 12, 6, and 9 uh, numerical markers are in stainless steel. Rather than, I think mine are like painted on or uh, you know, laser etched on or whatever they are. Finally, in Spectre, uh, Daniel Craig gets a watch with some gadgets. And I love this scene because this is the first time that Q gives him the watch and says, by the way, here's your new watch. Please return in one piece. Um, and James turns to him and says, does it do anything? And Q, nonchalantly, without bl- you know, blinking an eye, turns to him and says, it tells the time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then, and then he proceeds to tell him, by the way, it's also got a really loud alarm, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And so this one has an explosive uh, device implanted into it, and it actually uh, is used to blow up the computer that Christoph Waltz, that Blofeld is using, and then gives uh, Blofeld that traditional scar that we are used to—the scar down the right eye, or sorry, the left eye—that uh, that that we see in Donald Pleasance, and kind of gives Christoph Waltz that real sense of being Blofeld. So that that's in Spectra? That's in Spectra, yeah. And Spectre. it's a, it, it, this is a different watch. It's a throwback to the 60s when they had the Railmaster. Uh, it, this is a Seamaster 300M, uh, or 300 max, Master Coaxial. That's right. They use this new Coaxial Escape uh, to, to give this watch a little bit better... Uh, timing so it's not uh, you know because automatic watches yes they're automatic they do have a a time difference they they may be off by I, I think you know one second every 50 days or something like that they get off and you have to reset them but this one provides a the most precise escapement possible for an Amiga watch and actually got the first master chronometer certified watch in Amiga's history so, pretty cool. Uh, beautiful watch. Luminescent dial markers uh, in triangles or oblong-shaped triangles. It's got a lollipop instead of a, uh, a spear arrow secondhand. Beautiful, beautiful watch. And again, really kind of sparked the, the NATO strap to come back into society. Yeah, I, the NATO strap thing kind of has me intrigued because I have a stainless watch that I think would be banging in the summer with the the NATO strap um, and take the stainless strap strap off of it. So um, I may try to find one that would fit my my Aqua Racer and see if I can uh, I, retrofit I honestly, it. I love it, especially in the summertime. It's light. Again, you can go in the pool. You can go in the ocean. It dries off really quickly. Yeah, and it looks great. If you get, if you get something like, like I have the black and gray strap that was featured in Spectre that I wear with the Planet Ocean, and then I have like a red, white, and blue strap that goes with my uh, Seamaster 300 M. It functions both uh, purposefully and aesthetically, so you can wear it with a suit and not look out of place. 
Yeah, and they look they look like they have some actual Tag Heuer branded uh, straps, which I don't even know if that's a good idea because last Tag Heuer strap I bought cost five hundred fucking dollars. So oh yeah yeah D- don't uh, don't buy oh don't buy, buy a buy second th- yeah <laughs> don't buy don't, the license just buy a native one yeah that'll yeah fit anything um, yeah so. All right. So yeah, I can't. So, so is he going to have? What do you know? What's coming up in the new film? Yes, yes. The new film, No Time to Die, coming out on April 10, 2020. This features an Omega Seamaster Professional 300M, uh, very similar to the 300M he's worn throughout the 25 years that Omega's been part of it. A little bit different. The C waves are gone. It's a little bit bolder uh, dial markers. Instead of the traditional white superluminova, it's got these desert tan superluminovas. It's supposed to be an antique watch fit for kind of a tropical lifestyle because Bond is retired living in Jamaica at the time. It's got some nice nods to James Bond. The The date is actually gone. There's no date marker on this watch, which is weird because Seamasters usually have a date marker on it. At the six, uh, at the six hour marker, there's a a broad pointed arrow so a three pointed arrow uh, which is a designation marked by the Ministry of Defense the British military to mark British military property so whenever they would have property it would have this broad arrow on it that means this belongs to the Ministry of Defense so that's uh, emblazoned on uh, I think it's laser etched onto the dial the entire something brand new for the Omega Seamaster series the entire bezel all of the tick marks the uh 10 20 30 40 minute and 50 minute markers are all super luminova coated so when you go into a uh, darkened area the entire watch face and the bezel all light up very cool that is interesting Um, that's cool lastly this features again omega kind of bringing back some of the old straps that people forgot about this features a steel mesh band. So I know Apple definitely started with the uh, the Milanese strap. I actually went out and got one of these Milanese straps, not the Omega one, but uh, a variant of it. Again, very lightweight, very functional, and very dressy when it comes to needing to dress up. I really, really think this is a beautiful watch. Now, it's titanium. Is it worth the $9,000 tag? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, absolutely not. I mean, yes. uh, look, if I, ha- if I had that kind of just cash, well, I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, lottery sure. money. Yeah, absolutely. I'm buying, I'm buying two of them. Right. I'm buying a lot of, I'm buying a lot of watches that are probably not worth it. Their <laughs> yeah. their sticker their sticker price. Uh, yeah. If I got lottery, if I won lottery money, but um, you know I say that, but sometimes I just sometimes I I wonder if I would be a brand loyal person if I had unlimited funds. I mean I, I would want to be, but then I mean would you not have a paddock if you just had you know if you won the four hundred million dollar Powerball oh, yeah. would you not just be like yeah I'll take one of those. Yeah, I, I I would definitely uh, complete a 
full collection of Amiga watches. As I, I really do love Amiga. They're beautiful watches. Yeah. They, Same thing. They are wonderfully crafted. They will last a lifetime. But yeah, I would there. I would go AP, uh, Patek Philippe. There would definitely be some Rolex in there, and certainly Tag and Breitling. Yeah, all the Swiss watches. Yeah. All give me all the Swiss watches. So the the real question is, is this going to do anything? Is it going to do anything on screen? Um, and I don't think so. Uh, so the designer of the watch, um, let me get his name here. It's something Swiss. Uh, Reynald Ashleman uh, gave a uh, gave a speech on this when they unveiled the the watch back in January. Um, I don't think it's going to. He basically says that the watch is beautiful. It comes with a master chronometer certification, meaning it's extremely precise, as precise as you can get, and can dive to 300 meters. Beyond that, it's just a good, beautiful watch. And we at Omega want the watches to be as precise, as high-tech, as incredibly well-designed as possible to give time. So I think this is just going to be a watch that appears on screen. Uh, You'll see him tell the time. You'll see him refer to it, but I, I don't think it's going to have the laser or buzzsaw because uh, they don't need that to meet the high standards of watch clusters or the world's suavest super spy. So unfortunately, I don't think it does anything. Which I'm fine with. I mean, as long as it's a uh, yeah. clean-looking, sexy sexy watch on screen, I mean... Oh, it's clean-looking and sexy, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm down with it. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right, so of all these things... Let's quickly do this. Give me your your top five watches. Mm. Um. Actually, you know what? Let's do top three because really we can cut out all the Seikos. Yeah. I mean, of the James, of the, the Bond, of the Bond watches, I would definitely say, I'm not going to say any particular order, um, but obviously the Rolex Submariner is is in there just because I, I think that is timeless watch. I mean, most people say it's one of the best investments you can make because the older it gets, the more money it's worth. It's kind of, um, I don't know, it's kind of one of those things that hardly loses its, loses its value. So I'm not going to say it's number one, but that's just in the top three. Rolex Submariner, stainless in the top three. Um, yeah. I like, um, I mean, the, the Planet Ocean is badass. Um, that watch is cool as shit. And then just to be a dive watch that kind of um, almost is like Nana and Boo Boo, I can dive deeper than you uh, than you can. Because I, I don't really know a bunch of other dive watches that, that go down to 2,600 meters. That's pretty, um, pretty awesome. Um... And then I don't know. Other than other than I mean, those two are pretty badass. And, and then just the Seikos, yeah, are all, are all cut out. But the one that has all the crazy ass shit on the fucking screen with the world, the world map. Oh, yeah. Kinda, I'm like, kind of has me intrigued. I'm like, I kind of want to find one of these, one of these watches so, just so I can goof around and see what all it fucking does. But no, so I mean, in the mo- in the movie, that one actually had an LCD uh, screen and a camera, and uh, Bond actually used it to look down a woman's shirt. 
Yeah, yeah. So pretty. It's a it's a great gadget watch. Yeah, I like. I mean, I like all the the Omega Limited. This. I mean, I'm looking online. The sky, the Skyfall, and Spectre. Oh yeah, they made a bunch of limited you know. editions after the movie came out that weren't used on screen, but you could still buy. Yeah, yeah, but um, I mean, man, I even today, if I if if I had it, I think. There's just something about a chrome blackface Rolex Submariner that's just yeah. so so unbeatably classic. I don't know, I don't know how you could go wrong, right? And I feel like yeah. I feel like that that is the watch that you could have, you know, golf shorts and a t-shirt, or you could have a suit and it would work. It you know a tuxedo and it would work in in any yeah. And that's you know. and that's why I think I think I gotta echo. You know, some of your three. I think my personal favorite is the Planet Ocean because it was also my first, uh, my first luxury watch. I never owned one. I, I honestly didn't really. I stopped wearing watches for a good 15 years. Never wore a watch, and it wasn't until I decided, you know what? I this is something I need to own. I need to own a good qu- quality watch that I can pass on to generations. I love the Planet Ocean. You're right. It's a you know black face, stainless steel uh, casing. It looks great with, you know, jeans and a t-shirt as it does with, uh, you know, black tie affair. The Rolex Submariner is just a perfectly designed watch. It is beautiful. And the one worn by Connery in four different films, is the reason why it was worn in four films, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It looks great. Uh, I will say, as far as the gadget watches go, uh, whew. I think you're right. I think Octopussy's Seiko, uh, it, it, it's ugly as hell, but it's got it's intriguing. so many, it's got so many fun gadgets. Yeah. It's, you know, it, uh, it turns into a TV. It's got a, uh, a, a world map on it. It's got a, uh, uh, a GPS locator system. I, I like that one for the gadgets. Horrible film, but great gadgets. <laughs> Horrible film, great gadgets. Yeah. So, yeah, those are the uh, the watches of James Bond. Now, you have a Tag Sea Racer, Aqua Racer. Aqua Racer, just very classic. It's got kind of a modern twist. It's got this kind of gold, I mean, a gray face that's um, got this kind of multi-dimensional horizontal lines on it, which is kind of cool, and it's the same kind of thing as that black-faced Kind of like you're talking about black and chrome. This one's black and like a dark, like a charcoal gray, and it, it goes with everything. It's my daily wear. It goes with jeans, but it'll go with goes with a suit. Goes with a bathing suit. You yeah. Know? Um, it it honestly the, looks like you know the Seamaster and the uh, uh, the Submariner. It's a it's classic exa- it's it's watch. that yeah classic classic move movable bezel single date diver diver watch um, beautiful watch and it's first one and you know it's kind of crazy because the same kind of story as you like really wasn't into watches or looking at watches but um, Cindy and I were at a Sandals in St. Lucia and just kind of in that vibe of the luxury resort we were in that luxury resort kind of vibe for a week and passed by the gift shop and passed by the gift shop and passed by the gift shop and finally was like all right, let's go take a look. And took a look, and literally, you know, of course, the salesman's like, "Oh, try it on." You put it on, and you're like, "Fuck, this is why 
people own nice watches because you put it on yeah. and you're just like, this just feels badass. And then you you spend the money. I bought it, and I'm nervous as hell. But then when it got that first little scratch in the stainless or whatever, you're like, okay, this it's not perfect anymore. I can like let my guard down, and then now it's like it's my best friend. It's always on my wrist. I always you know, always yeah. have it. So absolutely loved loved that watch. And then she surprised me with kind of a classier watch. I have a, a Carrera Day Date um, that's got a blue face, like a navy blue face that is just sexy as hell. Um, it's got the showcase back. And then that's the one I actually got a leather um, a leather band for. And it's kind of definitely my nicer one step up. Um, like wore it to Victorian Albert's dinner with, with a blue suit. Kind of like you were talking about your blue face watch with a blue suit. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have two luxury watches. Love them, to, love them both to death. And I mean, I'm gonna say I've got five thousand bucks invested in both of those. Both of those watches would not even come close to buying me a new Submariner. No, no, they wouldn't. I, and you again, know. same, about the same price. I think, I think combined. Uh, but yeah, you're right. A, a brand new Submariner is going to run you nine to twelve thousand dollars, depending on the material. It's uh, they're they're expensive, but look, you know the best part about the Tag, the Omega, the Rolex, is at some point this watch will leave my wrist and it will be passed down to someone in my family, and that's the beauty of absolutely these fine quality. Jewelry, and that's what they are. Is you, you gotta think of them as jewelry. They're an investment piece. You wear them every day. Uh, have them serviced. Make sure you have them serviced. Make sure you take care of them because they they will last 50, 60, 70 years. I mean, you go to the Omega um, Museum in Bern, and you can see watches that were built in 1910 that still run perfectly today and keep time. Best ad for a watch I ever saw was uh, Patek Philippe and it literally said you never own a Patek Philippe you simply take care of it for the next generation that's exactly what it's supposed to be I'm literally taking care of this until um, yeah you never own it you just take care of it yeah the day my son gets married uh, when I can replace it with something else and he can have this one and he passes it down to his kid the day he gets married or something like that. That's that's the beauty of it. That's the real beauty of it. Cool stuff. Uh, let's let's do our ratings on these three because we, have, yeah. we haven't talked about. We we did uh, one. We we rated the we rated number three. So number number two. Which one you're putting the number two slot? Oh God, this is hard. So originally I had both of these rated at 89. I think after tonight. I think. The double cask moves up to a 91, and that becomes my number one, and the sherry cask gets a 90. It still goes up, but it gets a 90 and gets a number two. The double cask is just perfect. It's really a good, good scotch whiskey. So I put the double cask at a 91 as well, which matches what I gave rare cask. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I've got an 88 on, on Sherry Cast. So I went 91, 88, 85. You went 91, 90, 84. So you had a, you had Correct. a pretty big difference yeah. in, in two and three. I mean, I, I, I like the triple cask. I just, it's again, it, it's, it's, it's March. 
it's not quite summer yet. Mm-hmm. I want a deeper, darker whiskey right now. If this was June, July, August, this would be great. Down in the heat, you know, it's humid outside. Put it on some ice. That'd be great. But yeah, uh, surprisingly, double cast just edges out the sherry cask and takes the top spot for me. Don't disagree. But I do love the sherry cask. It's it's really good. It's beautiful. Oh yeah. Like the watches of James Bond outside of the Seco. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> outside. I had to put in that caveat. <laughs> yeah. I mean look, they they do their spot. Whatever. I feel I feel sorry for Roger Moore. The best thing he got to take home was a Seco. <laughs> Oh, Whereas God. Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig has taken home every watch that he's worn on the on the set. He he has become a, an ambassador for Amiga. He literally owns a shit ton of Amiga watches. I feel really bad for Sir Roger Moore. Because all he got was. But do you? Goes. But do you really feel bad for him? No, not at all. <laughs> he got to play both the Saint and James Bond. So good. For but him. from what I'm from what I'm hearing from you and from you and Chris Trossel's he got he got what he deserved from his performance. Oh, yep, yeah. he got paid. Oh, paid yeah. a lot. But didn't y'all say that those those set of films were not the best? They're good for their time. They're really campy and they're really seventies ish, um, and they're dated. They're so dated. Like, I, I think you I think you would like Live and Let Die because it takes place in Louisiana. And I think you would enjoy it. Then you get to things like Moonraker, not so good. It's too. It was trying too much to be Star Wars and Star Trek because those had just come out. Um, Golden Gun is great. I really do like that one. That's probably the best Roger Moore film. And then you know, I mean, there's some other good ones. There's some classic ones. Spy Who Loved Me is really good. It's, it's hard to say. They're good films. Golden Gun's the one with the island, the yeah, the, the kill island. I, I gotta watch that one. I may watch that. Yeah, you, I may try to watch that this weekend. You gotta watch that one. That one's good. It's really yeah. good. So look, uh, we've spent two hours talking lots of McAllen and lots <laughs> yeah. of James Bond watches. Hope we didn't bore you to death, but it, it's just something we have a lot of fun doing. You know, talking luxury watches, drinking luxury scotch. It's, it's good stuff, man. And McAllen will not steer you wrong because finally they got rid of the Amber. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I get it. And I actually still have an unopened box of that. I'm hoping one day it, <laughs> it increases in value. But, I mean, I, I get why they did it. Um, I think that, honestly, if I had to guess, that was a, a low-cost experiment to see... Yeah. Hey, how is this going to catch on? And then, oop, we fucked up. Take it off oh, the market. Oh, that didn't quite work out. Yeah, yeah. take it off the market. Let's uh, yeah. let's scrap that program. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah. Again, I think you're right. It was a hey. Let's see if we can stretch this and wait until the distillery opens and see what we can produce. And just didn't work out. Yeah. So, yeah. Great stuff. Uh, you know, Brant, thanks for finding that triple cask. Haven't found that here. Bringing it down to Speakeasy. It's good stuff. Good stuff. It's great. It's great, man. Um, I enjoy, like I said, this is what I cut my teeth on, um, you know, drinking whiskey and, and learning about scotch. So it's always awesome to kind of circle back to that. And, um, yeah, I mean, 
good night, three good, three good whiskeys. No, when you know you're drinking McAllen, um, you don't have to worry about having that O face and surprised about what you get, and you, you, you yeah. have a pretty good idea of what's what's coming down in the bottle. Yeah. So as we as we plug on with James Bond quarter, we only have about a month left of it before uh, the release of our third se- our third episode and also the re- which will coincide with the release of no time to die april 10 2020 we're going to be drinking uh one whiskey actually we're only drinking one whiskey that night and that's mccallan m because we we were lucky enough to procure a sample of it and you, you know you don't fuck around with it and you don't drink you anything don't, else. you don't yeah don't burn the palate and don't try to follow it up <laughs> Yeah, uh, we will be making a cocktail after that to celebrate the entire quarter. We're going to be making the Vesper cocktail, uh, so go get your gin, vodka, quinoa, and uh, a lemon so that you can make it alongside with us. It's one of my favorite cocktails. Whenever I'm out, whenever I'm having a night out, you know, drinking with my wife, it's the go-to. It's a beautifully crisp, clean cocktail. So make sure you get all that stuff ready to go for for next month. Um, if you have McAllen M, by all means, pour some out and enjoy it with us. I we we don't own a bottle in the Speakeasy. We were Let fortunate us, enough to be granted some some samples. If you drink McAllen M with us and you don't tell us, you are <laughs> yeah. kicked out of the group. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so so by all means, uh, grab your stuff and enjoy our final episode of the James Bond Quarter as we uh, as we wrap this up. We're going to have a couple short pours coming up. Uh, there's some stuff. I, I think Matt Holmes is going to join us soon in the Speakeasy. Uh, I don't think it's anything James Bond related, but he's a big James Bond fan, so we'll talk some James Bond while drinking some some whiskey. But uh, we do have a, a pretty special series on the short pours coming up. We have some uh, cognac, uh, which is one of M's favorites. So we're going to we're gonna dive a little bit in the brown liquid that is not scotch. And yeah. uh, try out some cognac because, like I said, just about a year and a half ago, Brant sent me some cognac and I'd never had cognac before. And by God, I now have a couple bottles in my own personal collection. Yeah. I mean, it is, I mean, it's, it's not a fancy favorite of mine, but it, you, it's kind of like tequila. You can say you don't want it until you have a really nice one, and you go, "Oh wow, I get it." Yeah, I, under- I understand why. You know, um, if all you drank was Patron, I understand why you don't like tequila. If all you drank was Hennessy, I can understand why you don't like cognac. Um, but when you have good stuff, then you go, "Okay, all right, now, now I, I see, it. now I yeah. get it." Yeah, yeah, so and that's kind of that- what kind of what it is. So we have that coming up. We have uh, some. Uh, Talisker, which is again M's favorite. I think uh, short pours in April are going to be M. All related I'm, to M. I'm, I'm hearing M's an alcoholic is is kind of what I hear. It's like M she- drinks this, M drinks this, M's 18. <laughs> I was in her office desk drawer. Her and oh. uh, Nick Offerman and uh, whatever had a, a lot to a lot in common. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So a uh, bunch of good short pours coming up. Check out some Talisker. Make sure you pick up a bottle of Talisker 10 to join us alongside with that. And, uh, you know, long last the whiskey and long live the adventure. So, Brant. Absolutely. If you came in to learn. Drink what you learn. If you came in to share. Share what you drink. If you came in near a stranger. 
May you exit a friend. And if you came here for adventure, drink, drink up. up. Cheers, Cheers everybody.